Hey, thanks for joining us today. We're on our last week of the good and beautiful God. I want to invite you to stand up with me as we read from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for these words today. We thank you for what you will open our eyes to see today, God. And I pray that as we walk through these verses and we search for our identity in you, as we close out this series, that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts and minds to see ourselves in a new way and to see you in new and deeper ways. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so I've had the blessing, some of you may have heard of this ministry, it's a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. I've had the blessing a few times in churches to help start and lead a Celebrate Recovery. And and I know we had one here at Temple some time back. But um, one of the things that's interesting to me, the attendees at CR have a way of introducing themselves at meetings that's a little different than other 12-step groups. And so they, they would say it this way when they introduced themselves at a meeting. They'd say, hi, my name is Terry. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus who struggles with whatever the issue is. And, and, and so they would say, you know, this in a way that named the issue but didn't take on the issue as identity. They would name the issue, but they'd say, my identity is a grateful follower of Jesus. And, and, and it's really simple. The reason they do that is because they want to affirm their identity in Christ instead of affirming the issue as the identity. And so last week, we looked at one of the central questions of Christianity. Why did God have to become human, suffer, and die on the cross? And the short answer is he didn't have to, but he chose to out of love for us and all his creation. Well, today's verses, Corinthians 5, bring us to another essential question. It's almost like the other side of the coin here. It's a question of core identity. It's a question that speaks to who we are. And the answer should actually shape every aspect of our lives. It should shape our thoughts and our actions and our desires and our words and our feelings and our will and our beliefs and our reactions and then align all of that in our true identity. And so as impactful as the why question we asked last week is, in regard to the incarnation of God, the who question, who are you, has the same level of impact on our fallen humanity if we're seeking to take on the divine nature of God and fully live into that. So so the question from last week has a tremendous impact on us knowing who God is. The question we have this week, who are you, should have a tremendous impact on us knowing who we are. And so remember from 2 Peter 1, we talked about this verse last week, we've been given his precious and very great promises so that through them, we become partakers 
of the divine nature. So we have to realize that through Christ, through the promises of God in Christ, we are actually now partakers of the divine nature, which leads to the question, who are you? That's the question that we have to answer today as we wrap up the good and beautiful God. And I just wanna tell you that preparing this message was a bit of lament. I was stuck in a spot where there's so much in this chapter that I want, this message could be an hour. And so the, the idea at one point was tell everybody, go get their kids and come back, order pizza and we'll come in and we'll finish it. But I chose not to do that. Um, but there's so much in this chapter in this book, The Good and Beautiful God. I wanna encourage you, even if you haven't read any other word in this book, find a way to read chapter eight in this book. It's entitled, God Transforms. And so today, as we look through this, I wanna hope, my hope is to help you see that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, your identity is simply God's beloved in Christ. And you can live out of this identity. But you have to recognize that you're in recovery. You're in recovery from the old life, the old self that was there, from the things that draw you into living out of your old nature, that are obstacles to you living out of that divine nature. All those things that our text this morning in 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that's passed away. And that recovery process will result in us living out of our identity in Christ if we embrace it. So let me ask you, who are you? Think of all the ways you can answer that. But when I say who are you, I don't mean who you say you are or what you do or who you wish you were or even who people tell you you are or what you believe and say to yourself, this is who I am on an intellectual level. My question, who are you, is rooted in the deepest sense down to the place where there's only you and God and nobody else. The place that's the source of every thought and every action and every desire and every word and every feeling and every bit of willing and belief and reaction. The place that aligns all of that to move forward in our deepest, truest identity because this is how we have to understand identity. Our identity is the place that everything about us flows out of. Who are you speaks to that source deep within us where everything else comes out. This is exactly what the Greek word for nature, fusos, means in 2 Peter 1, when it says we have been given everything to become partakers of the divine nature. That Greek word fusos for nature means the inner nature, the underlying constitution or makeup of someone. So when Peter says, you are now a partaker of the divine nature, he's actually saying at the deepest place of your being, everything that is underneath it all, your constitution, your makeup, your inner nature is now the divine nature. Do you see how the idea of identity is wrapped up in that word nature, in that word fusus. It's the place that everything else flows from. 
It's what Jesus means when he says in Matthew 7, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Why not? Because by nature, one tree is good and by nature, the other is bad. What is produced out of the nature flows out of that nature. And that's what he is speaking to here when he talks about our identity. It's speaking to the level of fusus, that Greek word for nature, the underlying constitution. And that is critically important because God's transforming of us begins with our nature, the incorruptible nature of Christ, substituted for the corruptible nature, just like we talked about last week. The divine exchange of Christ's nature put in us as he took on our nature. And so this idea of exchanged nature is summed up in a phrase that Paul uses 164 times in his epistles. And that phrase is in Christ. The phrase in Christ speaks to the nature exchange, us being given the divine nature of Christ, as just as he took on our fallen nature. And so what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17 this morning is that in Christ, we are a new creation. And that's just the start of our identity in Christ. In Christ, we are his workmanship. We're free from condemnation. We're fruitful. We're redeemed. We're blessed in the heavenly places. We're hidden in God. We're the righteousness of God. We're filled by God. We're brought near to God. We are triumphant in that nature in Christ. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. We don't have time to go through all 164 usages of the phrase in Christ in Paul's epistles but they all should contribute to you answering this one simple question, who am I? The answer to that question for you is rooted in these 164 appearances of the phrase in Christ. And that is where the reality of who we are lives. And it's true because we are a new creation in Christ. So Christ's nature in us just as we are in him. And yet, too often, we answer the question, who are you, with the, particularly in the church, with the false narrative, oh, I'm a sinner. You ever said that to somebody? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Can I just dispel that right now? No, you're not. You were a sinner, but you're not now. You're in Christ. That's why people in Celebrate Recovery introduce themselves by saying, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, not I'm a sinner who sins by drinking or viewing pornography or getting angry or overspending or eating too much chocolate. There's this huge paradox in this for those outside of Christ. Here's the paradox. The paradox is this. You're in a 12-step program because you can't, in essence, control your sin. And you refuse to identify as a sinner? What gives with that? I'll tell you exactly what gives. Celebrate recovery is not about overcoming sin. Jesus already did that. He overcame our sin. It's about living into the reality of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why somebody in Celebrate Recovery is not gonna stand up and go, I'm a sinner who sins by drinking. 
They're gonna stand up and say, I'm a grateful believer in Christ because they know that now, because of this exchange of nature, they are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's about living into a reality of being in Christ. It's about experiencing and walking in the truth that we are made the righteousness of God and we need to learn to live that out of our true identity, which is in Christ. So who are you? Are you a sinner or are you the righteousness of God? Who are you? Sinner or saint? Because those are really the only two options for us to answer that question. Now, most of us would say in Christ, I'm a saint. I am the righteousness of God. I realize that. I know that. I've read it. It's been taught to me. But then that leads to an application question. If I am the righteousness of God, why do I sin? Why do I feel drawn towards it and enticed by it? So we have to resolve that question if we're gonna understand what it means to be a new creation and become a person who lives out of the divine nature of Christ in us. And the resolution is actually the beginning of living out of that divine nature. Instead of living out of that old nature that Paul tells us in our text this morning has passed away. See, when we see our identity as a sinner, it's actually because easy conclusion to draw. We have the evidence in our lives. Listen to how Jim Smith says this. The prevalence and seeming dominance of sin in our lives makes it easy to conclude that our fundamental identity is sinner. Given the evidence of the sin in our lives, both in actions and thoughts, we assume that we must simply be sinners and our experience then affirms that through and through because that's what we see, that's what we know. And I believe that a large part of this assumption is because we misunderstand what it means to be in Christ. We think in Christ means by practice and not by position. Here's what I mean by that. We tend to think that when we do good and we follow Jesus' commandments and we're obedient, we are putting ourselves in Christ. Which means then that when I fail, when I'm disobedient, when I don't do good, I must be putting myself outside of Christ. But the reality is this. We didn't put ourselves in Christ in the first place. In Christ is a statement of position, not practice. We can't do anything to put ourselves in Christ. Think about God saying, nothing will separate you from my love. Does that include everything? Yes, I said nothing. Even when I step into this sin, yeah, I said nothing. Even when I act up, yeah, I said nothing. This is exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.18 is telling us. Listen to this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us to himself. We did not reconcile ourselves to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the question in this verse that you should be asking is, okay, but what is the all this? Well, the all this in verse 18 is answered in verse 17. Look back at verse 17 for just a moment. All this is being in Christ. 
that's a key phrase for us to understand our identity in Christ. It's the old passing away. It's being a new creation. It's position, not practice. The position of being in Christ, having been placed in Christ by God. There's no mention of practice here, only position, which means that being made a new creation is not accomplished by what I do. It's accomplished by being placed in Christ, which then means that my nature is changed by being in Christ, not by how I act, which means I am no longer a sinner by nature, by practice. I'm a saint by position. Does that make sense? Do you see how it is so critical for us to understand our identity in the context of the phrase in Christ? Absolutely critical. Now, I know some people would hear me talking like this and they go, well, you make it all about being placed in Christ, not obedience. You're just giving yourself a license to sin. Here's the thing. I'm not discounting obedience at all. I'm suggesting that when we live, when we learn to live out of the divine nature in us, out of being in Christ, we will be obedient by nature. Just like a bird flies by nature and a fish swims by nature. Obedience to Christ is not your accomplishment. You can't do it. I can't do it. But when my nature is replaced with the divine nature of Christ, I will listen to the Father in ways I never expected to be possible. I will follow him and walk after him in ways I never dreamed of. And I know some people could hear me talk like this and go, well, you're giving us a license to sin. Can I tell you one thing? I don't need a license to sin. I've been doing it just fine without one. And so have you. So don't tell me grace gives us a license to sin. You've been sinning all along unlicensed. It's time for us to say, God, do this work in us. If this is true, then how am I gonna live? See, here's the thing. Being in Christ doesn't suddenly remove all the sin out of my life. Listen to what Martin Luther said. I'm gonna give you some Latin this morning, just, I don't know why, because everybody that goes to St. Pat's, you're gonna love this. Pop quiz tomorrow at school. Simul justice et peccator. Martin Luther said that. It means this, simultaneously righteous and a sinner. That's us. We are simultaneously righteous in Christ, having been made the righteousness of God in Christ, and simultaneously, simultaneously sinners. Listen to how Jim Smith explains this. However, even though we have become new people spiritually, we still live in our old self's body, which contains the remnants of sin. We still have our old narratives and our old memories and our old habits. We still live in a world that stands diametrically opposed to the truth of God. This is why we struggle with sin even after we are regenerated. Does it make sense now? Does it make sense how I can call myself a saint in Christ and still have a laundry list of sins at the end of each day? In short, sin remains, but it doesn't reign. We have it, but we're not ruled by it. 
It's the battle that Paul talks about between the flesh and the spirit. In the Greek, he uses the word sarks for flesh. It's the battle between the soul, the internal facet of our being, where the divine nature dwells and steers and desires and guides. The battle between living apart from God and what I produce and do and say when I am disconnected from God and running on my own, what Paul calls the sarks, and the divine nature that is transforming my desires and will, my mind and emotions, my actions and my deeds, oftentimes slowly from the inside out, so that eventually, through the sanctification process, the Holy Spirit-empowered process, my outer self, my practices, will reflect my inner position in Christ. That is what God is doing in each of us who are in Christ. That's why the sin remains, but it doesn't reign. It's the slow relinquishing of the old self and its narratives and its thoughts and its beliefs and its desires and its habits. It's the process that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, when he says, put off the old self and put on the new self, which implies a choice. Will I live out of my old identity as I've known myself to be? as I see myself reflected in the world? Or will I live out of my in Christ identity, created after the likeness of God, from my position of being in Christ? That's the choice we face. Who are you? See, we have to answer that question with conviction and certainty at the deepest places of our being with one simple statement, I am God's beloved in Christ. This is the identity that attendees of any Christ-centered 12-step program eventually discover, which is why they say, first and foremost, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. Grateful for what? For being a new creation, for having a new identity, for receiving a new name, for being given a new heart, for having the very life of Christ in them, for being brought to the realization that their identity is a product of position and not practice. That's what they're grateful for. Truth be told, for anybody who's found any transformation in any type of 12-step program, whether that's NA or AA or CR or GA or SA or whatever it is, their transformation in that program was rooted in discovering their true identity to a greater degree than they knew it before. Those of us who seek to be transformed in Christ could learn a lot from a 12-step program. See, my experience with Celebrate Recovery helped me see that transformation, discipleship, and growing in Christ is really simply a process of recovery from my old nature. You wanna live in Christ You need to get in recovery from your old nature, from living out of the old self, that guy who was a slave to sin, and then finding and then living into our new divine nature, our identity as God's beloved in Christ. That's what recovery is. That's what discipleship is. That's what transformation is. You see now that there are some life-altering dynamics to the answer to the question, who are you? 2 Corinthians 5.19 is a good starting point to answer this question. 
says this, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In Christ, God is reconciling everyone to himself. Those of us who are in Christ, positionally not by practice, not by works, but through faith in Christ alone and in Christ, our trespasses are not held against us. Which is why Paul refers to us as ambassadors for Christ. Going into this world, just as Bill and Susan just talked about going to Lampton and imploring them, be reconciled to God. We do that out of the divine nature that's in us, out of the fact that we are now by position in Christ. And here's what happens to our sin when we are in Christ. Listen to Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, if God removes your sinfulness, your transgressions, as far as the east is from the west from you, then why do they still linger around as your identity? Why do you still look at yourself and go, I am a, a sinner by identity instead of I am in Christ? Does, by the way, does anybody know how far the east is from the west? If I had a compass and I pointed it north and started walking, what direction would I eventually be going? Sooner or later, I'd be going south. If I walk to the North Pole, I'm now going south. If I have a compass and I point it east and start walking, when will I be going west? Never. That's how far the east is from the west. That's how far your sin has been removed from you. Therefore, if it has been moved and you choose to live out of your own nature, it is solely by your choice, not by reality, not by God's view of you, not by the facts of redemption. It's solely by your choice. So what does that mean? It means that when we become purposeful and intentional and we step into the recovery process from our own sin nature, we should be able to answer the question, who are you every moment of every day, regardless of what's going on around me, with I am God's beloved in Christ because he's reconciled us to, ourself, to himself in Christ. He's made us a new creation in Christ. The old self has passed away in Christ. And he's entrusted us with the same message of reconciliation that we received in Christ so that we should be ambassadors for Christ in this world. I know that many of you are probably thinking, I, I just can't accept that I'm in Christ. I just, it's hard. Intellectually, it's hard for me to grasp. Some of us are thinking, well, I know I'm in Christ and I grab it intellectually. But then the question is, why don't I live out of that identity? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If I'm in Christ, why do I choose this? If I'm in Christ, why do I go this way? And I wanna give you a little, little illustration of why we, those of us who are in Christ, still struggle with sin. Anybody ever been scuba diving? Canadians apparently don't like to be in the ocean. Okay, a few of you. I learned to scuba dive years ago. I took it as a PE when I was in University of Georgia. Because number one, they went on this awesome spring break trip to the Keys, and, and, and that was the main reason. But I also wanted to learn to scuba dive. You know what the hardest thing about scuba diving is? Anybody? Breathing. 
Breathing is the hardest thing about scuba diving. And I know what you're thinking. Well, thanks, Captain Obvious. I, wonder, I would never thought that it's hard to breathe underwater. It's hard, though. Here's why it's hard. Everything that is in your nature knows you cannot breathe underwater. And your mind is telling you don't inhale. And your body is screaming don't do it. And your lungs are tensed up. And so here I was, the first time I was with a tank and a regulator, sitting on the bottom of the diving pool, and, and my mind is going, you can breathe because you have a regulator. And my body's going, don't, don't you dare. Don't even try. Eventually, I got my mind to overcome my body and take a breath. And it was like this. And then I started breathing. And I'm breathing the first time I breathed underwater. It was an incredible feeling. But I had to overcome the nature of who I am as a human being that says you can't breathe underwater. Eventually I overcame that and I was breathing, but I was like <sighs> breathing real rapidly because even then my mind was still telling me this isn't safe, this isn't good. See, living out of our new nature when we are still immersed in a fallen creation is just like that. Just like that. We want to be able to breathe in the divine, but our flesh that starts in us tells us it won't work. You will get destroyed. If you try to breathe in that divine nature in this world, it's learning to breathe the divine nature, the divine air that satisfies and sustains us as a new creation in Christ that overcomes our old sinful nature. And so one of the ways we do this, we learn to breathe this way, is to practice our soul training exercise for this week, which is solitude. I know that might sound a little counterintuitive, but I want you to listen to what Dallas Willard says happens when we practice solitude. When we go into solitude and silence, and, and it's almost impossible to have solitude without silence. When we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. It's enough that God is God and we are his. We learn we have a soul, that God is here and this world is my father's house. This knowledge of God progressively replaces the rabid busyness and self-importance that drives most human beings, including the religious ones. The practice of solitude is simply sitting alone with God and letting him speak your identity over you, that you are God's beloved in Christ. Letting him speak that to your soul through reflecting on his truth, his word. And so I wanna encourage you to spend some time this week in intentional solitude. Find a place where you can steal away 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour, however long. But in order to help you do that, I want to put some verses on the screen. You can take out your phone and snap a picture of this. I don't want any candy crush going on while you do this, by the way. But you take out your phone, snap a picture of these verses. When you go into solitude, use these verses because these are verses I put together that speak to who, what our identity is in Christ. And here's what happens when we sit in these truths in solitude. It's equivalent to me taking that first breath underwater in the pool. My goal in taking a scuba class was never to sit on the bottom of a swimming pool. It was to be in the ocean and see the world in new and exhilarating ways, ways I'd never seen it before. In the same way, solitude is about being alone with God. 
It's about learning to breathe in my identity as God's beloved in Christ so that I can live in this world in a new and exhilarating way. It's about living out of my identity in Christ and being an ambassador for Christ that through us, the world may actually be reconciled to God. Father, we thank you for this reality, this truth, that we are now partakers of your divine nature, God. Walk with us, help us recover from this sin nature that steers so many of our choices and our actions, our desires and our habits and our longings. And help us learn to be people who can live completely and fully out of this new divine nature that you've put in us, that we now have in Christ. And Father, let our identity as your beloved in Christ be the most foundational truth that has the greatest impact on all that we think and say and do and long for, that we may truly live out of our identity in Christ and nothing else. Amen.